0: Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay podcast. So my guest this week is Ron McCants. Ron McCants is a wonderful writer. He's he's a playwright. He's a TV writer. He's also a development executive, uh, which is a very exciting combination because he's worked on on both sides of the screen, uh, in addition to uh, working in in comics and in in many other fields. Um, So he brings a really vast wealth of information. He's also a a tremendous activist. Um, We're actually, Partnering with Ron um, as part of our Black Lives Matter initiatives with his project called the Parity Project, so I'm sure we're going to get to talk a little bit about that as well. Um, but I wanted just to start by welcoming you, Ron. We're so happy to have you. And I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, a little bit about how, how did you come to this place as a writer? Like, what what is your origin story?
1: What is my origin story? Um, so that's a great question because I. First, thanks for having me. Um, I always ask people what their origin story is. And mine is, you know, I started off um, in Missouri, where I was born in like, you know, Lincoln, Nebraska, but I was raised mostly in Missouri. And um, I did really well with like science and math. And I ended up going to Dartmouth College in New Hampshire and I was put in this remedial writing class based off of my SAT scores. Now, my math, it was like through the roof kind of deal, but the verbal it was barely average, and I was at the bottom of this remedial writing class, and then I, I worked from the bottom to the top of that class, and I was like, all right, so I, get, I worked with a tutor, I worked with my professor, and I can, you know, I found out like can write an essay <laughs> and uh and then I was like let me make a commitment to myself and so I took a writing course every term while I was there at school and I found myself in this playwriting class and we had a reading of my first show Joe Sutton who was my professor at the time he was like I was like this was amazing I'm, go- I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life he told me you know you had a good reading don't make a <laughs> don't make a commitment like that but you know uh was it like almost 20 years later I'm still doing it but as a tv writer um, Um, and so that's kind of how it all started yeah a lot
0: of a lot of uh writers make the transition um starting in the world of of theater and moving into the world of television and and so you're one of the people who's done that successfully so i'm curious um what were the the skills that you took from playwriting that you brought into your tv writing career and, and what had to change as you started to make that transition into writing for the screen? Great, great. Well, I was mostly an engineer, so um, I really
1: knew myself, right? And as a playwright, you, know, you, you, you almost always have to have another job, right? So you, you live your life and you get all these experiences. And I think the things that I kind of take from playwriting, like the, like the things I take most from it is like the way in which I might build a show. Um, as a playwright, and some of my students, when I teach a playwriting class, I- I'll explain why, how that thinking is different. When you are a playwright, a lot of times you, you approach a, a, uh, things with, with a question, or you wonder about a concept, right? And you figure out what the world is, you figure out what you, uh, you're trying to say, and all this, that, and the other. And then you find your characters and you say, will this character do this thing for me? Cause I'm trying to explore this, that, or the other, right. Whereas in the TV world, you usually first start with like an idea or a world, right. But you start thinking about the character first and what their journey is and, and like how, how you would make something for an American market in most cases. And so understanding the difference between how, TV or plays are is, are created. Um, I think is a is a key thing. And so what I what I've taken from my playwriting, playwriting world is how to develop like conceptual shows that make you think. But also are compelling and interesting and have great characters like that TV requires. Um, I mean, I also take um, the community that te- that uh, theater has. So I think that's probably what led me to having the nonprofit, is because I'm more of a community-minded person because of my experience in the theater. It's like it's 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 one for. What, one for all of the three musketeers. Um I forget what their their whole thing is, but um all for one and one for all or something like that, right? Um but it's 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 it can it has to be uh, I feel like in order for me to be fulfilled and satisfied, like I can't just focus on my own career because that can go up and down and everywhere. But what I can also do and have control of is the impact that I have on other people providing access to things, especially mentees or people who are coming up, you know, sharing the the stuff that I know, because, you know, we don't know what this career will present, you know, in five years, 10 years, or even like sometimes two months from now. But um, what you can't, like the things that you can't control is what you contribute. Right. And I found that through theater.
0: Beautiful. And so I have to ask with your, with your background in engineering, um, in what ways is writing a, a TV show like engineering and in what ways is it not?
1: Well, what it, it's very similar to engineering because engineers are very creative people. Almost everything people do or all the technology, it's all, it's all because an engineer thought about a problem and solved it, right? Or found a way to solve it temporarily. And they continued, you know, they usually continue to try to fix it, right? Um, and... Like there's a, there's a process to it, right? There, like every day as an engineer, you have one question that you're usually trying to solve, right? And or one thing that you're doing, and there's a process to it, and you know that by doing three these three or twenty six steps, X Y Z is going to be accomplished, right? And you know when things are really big, like it's like we want this whole campus to go green. You know that it's just not. You say like, you know, it first starts off with like the mandate, we're going to make it go green. But what are the little, all the little pieces that need to take place, right? So when you are a dynamic thinker like that coming over in TV, I think what I'm shooting for is to become a showrunner, you know, or a producer, you know, like along the way, um, because I can, I can, a a team of people I can manage, you know what I mean? I I get budgets. I get all that stuff. That stuff comes second nature, you know, relationships, you know, getting something done. That's, but there's a process to it and there's a process to TV writing. There's, you don't just wake up and you're like, well, we're going to write episode three. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, no, we we've, we've thought about you have to think through, all the different steps and how things affect characters, how things affect story, not only for episode three, but, you know, down the road in this season or in the following season, or maybe five, like you have to be able to think like that. Right. And um, I think that's partly training. A lot of it is, is skill. Um, Some, some of it is of course talent, because you know, kind of what you want to say, but I think in those ways it's similar Um, like that there, there, there's a, you, you have to, think dynamically you have to think about process you have to do the same thing every day you know if you're going to be a real writer you need to write every single day you have to watch a lot of tv every single day you know um and you can't get bored from it right or if you do you just got to find a way to get more excited but you know i like with an engineer you don't ask them are you bored are you tired of doing this thing you know they just do it right and so um i say that like if if, if you want to be a tv writer look at you know, engineers and how they accomplish what they accomplish.
0: I I love what you're saying. And, And I love the, the approach thinking of, of screenwriting as a thought process or TV writing as a thought process, rather than thinking of it as I either have the talent or I don't, you know, thinking of it as like something you do and a way of thinking and a particular set of skills Um, what I, what I love about that is the way it kind of puts you in control of your own destiny, you know, rather than feeling like, well, I was born with this or I was born without this. Um, and you know, of course that makes me think about the parody project, um, and, and and what you are, what you're doing, you know, even as you uh, pursue your own career, uh, what you're doing for uh, so many writers. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the Parody Project and and how it works and, and what your mission is.
1: Yeah, well, the Parity Project, um, it's, it's meant to uh, promote fairness and economic um, equity and inclusion for Black professional entertainment makers uh entertainment professionals um and it came out of and this is inclusive of everyone reps executives writers directors everything it came from this um my experience on a show i was on speechless i did really well i got a call the 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 week before we supposed to go back ron i don't have the money for you like why did you renege on me right and um and so like that that summer after not being able to go back I'm like I've spent all my money to try to be on this show because I live in Newport Beach you know what I mean and um and I had joined I got into the guild and I was like well all right the best thing for me to do is tr- try to find other employment and fire my agents and my managers because you didn't prepare me for this right um and I found that in the committee of black writers that my story wasn't any different because I had gotten on Speechless through the Disney ABC writing program. And um, like, it wasn't just because of the program, they are the ones who introduced me and they're the ones who were paying for my role. And I found that many black people who were writers got their first jobs through one of these programs, but then they didn't staff again. Right, and I said something's off about that. And then the race in the writers' room report comes out in the, uh, November of 2017 from the Color of Change, and it verified all of my um, my 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 concerns, right, uh, through data. And I was like Lena Waithe and some other people. I was like, we have to do something about this. So we had a town hall, which led to developing these 12 or so initiatives, and they were all like, these are all great. These are going to address our needs as a community of professional writers in the union. Uh, but Ron, can you do all these things? And I was like, all right, I'm trying to do my career, but all right, so let, let me do this. And so got a group of writers together and we, we went after um, those 12 things and we were successful with about nine of them. Um, and I was hoping that, <laughs> like it would be done right but you know three years later we we developed um a whole nonprofit profit out of this you know um because we developed some core competencies around the data around how the unions were working around how how like what the numbers actually meant because when you look at the like at the end of the day when you look at anything you should just look at the money i come from finance that's what i ended up ended up doing in my parallel career um you, if you look at money, it will tell you the story. And so the story was that from 2012 to 2017, black writers made 3.6% of the money that all writers in Hollywood made, right? And that was six $6 billion, over $6 billion was made. You know what I mean? We made 203 million over those five years. That's nothing, it's chump change. These are people's mortgages. People have dreams. Nobody's different. Right. And so I was like, this has to stop because what's on the table is like actually $753 million because that's 13.4% of that pot. And if all things are equal, at a minimum, that should have gone to this community right? That should have gone to these stories, right? And so we need to figure out a way to get there. And that has led us to create some really cool programs like the Each One Teach One career mentorship program, where we're saying, all right, so what, what are the things that we can do as a Black community? What's our superpower? Well, our superpower in this country is to come together, right? And we can link hands, join hands, and you look out for one other person to your right, and you look out for the other person on your left, you join hands, and you help them through their career, Right. And so that's that's one of the things and it's once everything is funded, it's going to be nationwide and eventually international so that the Hollywood bubble gets popped, at least for us. Right. Because we want to make sure that stories are coming from people who got out of prison. Right. Or people who grew up in Oakland, or grew up in Haytown, Missouri, where I'm from, you know, have an opportunity to tell their stories if they have the talent, because going back to the that point that you were making about talent. Like I didn't, I had a lot of talent. I have a lot of talent, right? Um, When I went to Dartmouth, that was the one thing that I had, you know, that's probably the thing that got me in, you know, I was in that writing class and I was very talented, very creative, but I couldn't write an essay to save my life. I didn't understand the process, right? So if you are a talented person, you know, you're going to, there's a lot of times that you know, you're going to win, right? But a lot of times you're going to lose if you don't have the skill and the craft, right? but that those things can be taught right and i'm not saying you have to be talented to win right as long as you have the skill and the craft you can win but if you also have the talent piece there's a higher likelihood that you will win so want to identify ways in order to help highly talented people especially you know who are in these communities or may not have access to things you know say hey there's there here's a here's an online platform here that some people that want that can mentor you right and that's part of their 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 responsibility as mentees to mentor like how about you try this thing out in order for us to have more people not only in the writing sphere but directing gatekeepers you know producers because that's what's really what that's what we're going to take
0: yeah and one of the things i think is brilliant about um the project and uh, let me just get a shout out for your website. It, it, it's parodyproject.org. Is that right?
1: No, no, no. Um, we're the Parity Project, but we're at
0: www.wewilldoethis.com. Okay, www.wewilldoethis.com. Um, You should check out what he's doing um, uh, because w- w- what's really cool is, you know, it's easy, it's easy to be upset, right? And we're, we're all kind of upset about what's happening in our country right now. Um, but there's a difference between being upset and being able to show the numbers, right? So that you actually, you know, in, in, our, in our screenwriting classes, we talk about, like, having a goal to navigate towards. That's a clear goal, so that you actually know if you won. Exactly. And what I love about what you've done, Ron, is that, you know, by saying, okay, hold on, we're 14% of the population, why are we only 3.8% of the money, mm-hmm. Right. Is, is such a brilliant way where you can actually measure the effectiveness of the project of, of bringing us to a place of, of parity. And, uh, you know, and I think this is, this is such an exciting opportunity because it also, you can't, you can't say no to the numbers. You know, if you are an executive, if you are a studio head, you know, the, those numbers don't lie. and, uh, and and so I, I really admire what you're doing. And if you're a listener, um, keep your ears perked because um, there we're going to be doing a lot of stuff with Ron and with the Parody Project um, to help make our studio a more diverse place and to uh, to create opportunities um, for uh, for Black writers and for other diverse writers who otherwise might not have an opportunity to get mentorship. Uh, to, to get that mentorship. So, so keep your ears to the ground because there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out in the next couple of months uh, about stuff we're doing together. That's awesome. um, so bringing this back around to the screenwriting side of things, um, you're a development executive as well. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I'm interested because you're, you're running a parallel career track that not many writers have insight into, you know, where you're actually actively working with a production company that makes stuff and you're in charge of developing those projects and finding those voices. And you're also in a parallel track creating your own shows and writing television. And so um, I'm curious, when, when you take off your writer hat, and put on your development executive hat, what changes in the way that you look at a script? well i mean
1: i don 't know I, I I look at th- it's I get to do what I love to do all day is one way to look at it it 's um, by looking at other people 's scripts and helping them get to a place where something is viable for the market, I feel like I get a better understanding on what I need to or can deliver through mine, my scripts or my pitches or whatever. Um, I think that I'm constantly looking at, you know, the first 10 pages of something, you know. um, I think that's really important, the concept, the meaning. Like, something doesn't have to – nothing has to be perfect. I don't believe in that. I believe, though, you have to have something to say, and I don't believe a lot of people have – Anything to say, um, and that's kind of frustrating. Um, and I think that what I'm excited about is this new place we're going, uh, and I think the world. Um, and that yes, we're not going to make as much money as you know people in the '90s or the '80s made from syndication and whatever. But you got to work. You got to work for the money, and you got to have something to say. So that means, like like it's more meritocracy, you know, once you get in or it's about the material a little bit more, right? I think, and so that means that I I feel a little bit more comfortable about that because I know that I do well when it's a meritocracy. Hollywood is not a meritocracy, you know what I mean, at all. (laughs) Um, It's very much a like, do I like you kind of business, but there's gonna come a point where there is, the point is now, I think, of like where people are more focused on the content itself and the global market um and so by looking being able to have an expansive view on what the buyers are looking at what they're buying you know um interacting with agents who know that I'm a writer and like you know a manager they know they're like okay you know um like it's it's cool because we're developing a weird but very specific relationship um and it's i think in the, in the end it will prove beneficial because i think I'm learning, you know, how to be a producer. I'm currently thinking about like is that once 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 you get into this on this side, you're like, well, wait, why I get to actually say yes to things. Why am I not saying yes to my own stuff? Yeah. I can use my own stuff. You know what I mean? And that's something I never really thought about before because I was like, you know, like somebody, like I want, I, I'm, I, I need to, tr- I, I want to trust somebody else's experience. I want to, but actually I'm really good at building a team, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, and I'm really good at figuring out who people are. So what this, going this track, or uh, like not even veering off, but doing a parallel career with this, you know what I mean? Um, It's it's actually proven to be more helpful on the writing side in my, my mind, being able to say, I actually don't need to, I don't have to justify some things to some, some people. I know, I know who I want to speak with through my, with my work, you know what I mean? And I, I know how to produce my stuff. So maybe I should just do that. Yeah. You know, so it it opens up your mind.
0: Yeah. I I love what you're saying about, you know, taking control of your career in that way. Um, You know, when I was coming up, it was extremely challenging. You know, everything was still shot on film. And so while there was certainly an independent market, market you know, it was, it was there, the, um, this, the, the level of access to money that you needed to actually make it happen made the threshold very high. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that's really exciting now is that, that we don't need that same, the, the barrier to entry in a way is higher than it's ever been, but in a way is also lower than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have the power now to actually say, well, I don't need you to say yes. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to. Yes. I'm going and to. And build your own audience and and show what you can do and let Hollywood come knocking on your door rather than the other way around. So I, I think that's really exciting.
1: 100%. 100%. Right. Um, so one thing that we did with the Parody Project, we started a podcast. We were like, okay, so this is working. You know what I mean? This the conversation is shifting in Hollywood, and I won't claim credit or anything because I'm not the kind of person. But people are talking about numbers and parity and equity, and you're like, okay, because I know a year and two years ago you weren't, you know. Um, And like you, you can you see that there's a way to change culture. Like when you just talk about things and interact with folks, right? Who might adopt your, your, your thinking or your, your, idea. And so we started the parody project podcast cause we were like, yo, like if this is happening in Hollywood, I wonder what it's like in aviation. I wonder what it's like, you know, as a politician, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like all these things. And so, but the, the thing was, it's like the, the, like the, the cost of actually producing the podcast minimal, Right. So why not do it? And as a creator, you should always be creating. And this year, everybody is like, what do we do about production? You know what I mean? Well, you're like, well, you could do a podcast. And so that's, that's where we, we're at. You know, um, I think that as writers, we gotta, especially writers of this century, we have to find different ways to make money because that money is not going to, it's not the same like it was. It's like, it's not going to give you what you think it's going to give you you know what I mean, as a screenwriter or as a TV writer. It can be good at times, right? But a lot of times you are sitting around for a year or two years if you're on a, on a, on a um, short order Netflix show, you know what I mean, and you're developing this great time, but that money kind of runs out. So you need to find other ways to be an entrepreneur. And uh, the best way to do that is
0: to like, create stuff, you yeah. know, that, that's low cost. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love how that connects to, you know, because so many people think that, you know, when a producer is reading a script, what they're looking for is a premise. And, you know, I remember when I was, of course you have to have a, pre- if there's not a premise, there's, there's nothing there that I can say, right? right? <laughs> um, but the idea that a producer buys a premise, you know, I, the premise is just like the, the, the barrier to entry. That's just the fee that you pay to enter. You know, but but I remember and, and I, I'm glad that that you're you're saying that this is the way you look at it too. You know, I wanted the, the voice that I've never heard before. You know, I wanted somebody who was disruptive in some way for me. And and I wanted somebody who who had something to say, and who kind of grabbed me grabbed me and shook me around a little bit with that. Um, and you know, because going to bat for a new writer is a little scary. You know, you you you're you're not going okay. Here's a guy or here's a girl, and you know she's done these fifteen movies or this these fifteen shows, and she's brought made this much money for the people who work for that for who she's working for. You're Going, here's this little baby writer, you know, and my boss might hate them or they might love them, but I need to fight for them.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And and what makes us want to fight is when we feel, at least for me, when I felt that that passion, you know, that that this person has something to say that is that is slightly different than what everybody else is saying, and that is slightly more truthful. You know, and is looking at the world in a little bit more of a deep way. Mm.
1: That's, that's fascinating. So you were, I didn't know that you were, one, a producer before, but two, it's like it's, it's fascinating that you come down to what is truth, like who's, who, who's, who's being disruptive, you know, um, and, and like those are the things that you are attracted to. And I assume that it doesn't mean that the baby writer is perfect because people are going to love him or hate him, but... That person has something to say, and it's and they're bearing their heart open, and that's that's what you have to do when you're on the staff, anyways, bear your heart open. But it's interesting to to see, to see like your instinct, you know, is is towards people who um, want to tell the truth, who don't don't disrupt because for the sake of being disruptors, but because they have to, they're compelled to. Yeah.
0: yeah. You know, I, I, we actually have a lot of common. I went to Dartmouth as well. You did uh, not? Yes, class of 97. Um, really? So, uh, and, and I came to Dartmouth uh, as a GUBBY major um, because I was interested in politics and I wanted to change the world. Um, and I, I stumbled into, into realizing that I was an artist. Uh, so, yeah, we have a lot of common in that way.
1: That is fascinating. Dartmouth big green. Oh my God. I love
0: yeah.
1: it. You said you're you're 97? Yep. I'm 06. 06. So, yeah, this like for all you
0: listeners, this is like lingo. Yeah, this is this is how Dartmouth people talk to each other. <laughs> I'm O 06. <laughs> <laughs> green. <laughs> but I want to bring it back around to that disruptive idea because, you know, um it was actually um Mike Daisy, who is a, a really brilliant monologist in the theater world, um, Mike Daisy uh, says something that I think is really profound, which he says, he says, the truth is always disruptive because it's so rarely spoken. And that, you know, that you can tell when an artist is being pretentiously disruptive you know, you know, Oh, look how unique I am. Right. When it's about like the ego and look what a great writer I am. And those scripts are always off putting, you know, those scripts, you you don't want to work with that writer. You, you, you want to run and hide, you know, or or as a teacher, you want to break through and get their authentic self on the page rather than the self that they, that they think they need to put out there. Um, but you know sometimes you read a script and sometimes it's a very simple script you know sometimes it's not even the most original concept at at all but but you feel the truthfulness of of the voice of the i don't know why this is coming to me but i'm thinking of winter's bone right now you know which is a very simple story you know it's not it's not paving new a new world in a structural way you know it's it's not breaking new ground in what filmmaking can be. It's just this really simple story, you know, but the, the voice of the writer is so clear, you know, and the voice of the character is so clear and the, the truthfulness is so clear. And that's a film that of course, launched Jennifer Lawrence's career, you know. Um, and so I think that's kind of, you know, the, don't be a disruptor to be a disruptor look at, you know, try to get your truth out on the page. And it will be disruptive because everybody else is painting by numbers their way through some formula that they learned, you know? And and you're going, let me put my heart on this page for you. And and I think that's always a, a really powerful experience. So one of the things I'm curious about, um. When you're thinking about uh, 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 when, when you're thinking about a project, when you're writing a script, uh, or when you're taking a script, you know you talked about the idea that not every script is perfect, and not every script that you're passionate about is is even fully working yet. And so, when you look at a script like that, that's not fully working, how do you think about it, and how do you find that truth, and how do you and how do you think about a rewrite? whether you're a development executive helping a writer get the draft to the next level, or whether you're working on your own project.
1: Hmm. Well, I feel that like, well, I'll start off like as a development executive. So very few times, you know, I'll read something and I'll be like, okay, this is something that we should look at Um, because simply like not everything meets all the qualifications they don't pass that first 10 pages even though i might read the whole thing um because it's based off it's it's from some it comes highly recommended or whatever um and a lot of times it doesn't pass go because there's no authenticity or you feel that the thing is off Right. And you're wondering, like, well, what, why did this writer write this? Are they writing this because they think I'm going to like it? You know, um, like, well, how is this solving anything for them? Right. Um, As a like, you know, am I are they bleeding through the page? You know, um, and a lot of times people are not. I'm just like you spent a whole bunch of time writing, uh, writing this, I hope. And I'm glad you did. Great exercise. However, why did you write this? What are you trying to say? You know, and that's probably because I'm a playwright in my heart. You know that you should probably be trying to say something to your audience rather than like creating something that you know you think people want to know. Because that's the, I tell people all the time that will be one of the the key things to veer you off in the wrong path. To tr- think you need to write something that somebody's gonna like, right? No. Don't write that. Write the thing that you you like, that you love, that you have to write. You know, and a lot of times that's going to be messier, harder, and everything because it sometimes leads you to this autobiographical fantasy, something that's based on your life, probably in little pieces, because you're still trying to figure out why mom slept with the, the Santa Claus or whatever the thing is. You know. <laughs> um, but when I'm looking at my stuff, I I typically write autobiographical fantasies, and these are not fantasies, fantasies in the sense of you know, um, we're we're jumping worlds or there's magic or anything. It's that I'm taking little pieces of my life to help remind me as I write the script that this is real, that the emotion is real. I experienced this or I know somebody who experienced that, right? Um, and it helps ground me, but also the readers. And then a lot of times, um, like I'll, you can look at some of the stuff that I've written or been produced, whatever. And even the stuff that's produced on different shows, you know it's mine. <laughs> You're like, Oh, that's Ron's. Um, and it they do it does well. Like the reviews usually do well. And the the reason for it is not because it's perfect. You know what I mean? It's because I'm trying to say something. You know, um I'm like I remember I had a play in San Diego, it won San Diego Critics Choice Award um back in i don't know twenty two thousand 2009 2010 or something like that um but like when the play we had it up it was three hours long and you're like but it's 60 pages how is it three hours long you know what i mean like, and like i think it was it's probably more like 80 pages but still you're like three hours is a long time but um and we had to eventually bring it back bring it back bring it back bring it back but it had like everybody felt really connected to the material the actors and everyone and the audience they were incredibly forgiving like opening night and then the previews because they they weren't thinking about the time that they were spending and and i'm sitting here mortified like the, the director and i weren't able to figure this out and bring the time down but people were like i'm so glad i saw this because this reminds me of the relationship i have with my father and these are you know, white people coming up to me and this is a black the cast or whatever, and you're like, I'm that's exactly why I wrote it. You know what I mean? So that everybody can see their dad and like in in this character and they see themselves in this character and they revisit things in their life, right? So it's not so so the truth, the authenticity helped make it a very human story, right? That everybody could connect to and they didn't necessarily see the color of my cast in the sense that You know, they felt that it was other or they had to disassociate themselves from it because even though those situations and the things were specific, they saw themselves and the truth was in the emotion, it was in, you know, uh, the people. So when I look at my my films or like TV shows or whatever, like I'm always – like writing towards that what's the truth of it you know whether or not it's like based off of a prostitute i know or my, like who's like my aunt or whatever um i like i look at these people not as their occupation or what they do or that they are offensive to most folks because i look at them as my family and my friends you know because that's how i am associated with them and they, they you, they've done things right uh, every we all have but um I just look for that truth and presenting those voices in a way that you haven't seen before, because I want you to love them as much as I do. And the only way to do that is to show you that truth and have
0: you connect with them. Yeah. I think that's, that's really beautiful. Um, And then, you know, I I often talk about the idea that every character you write is actually a part of you, you know, and it might be a part of you that you, invite to the table every night when you have dinner. It's like, I love the house. It's my confidence. Ah, isn't he cool? You know, but, but the character might also be the part of you that's super selfish, you know, or, um, the part of you that's given up or, or the part of you that is dominated by fear. It might be something you love about yourself, or it might be something that you're not even aware is present in you. Right. Yeah. Um, And and so, you know, when we write, I think it gives us the ability to really get to know ourselves. And and I love what you're saying because when we put our true selves out there, you allow other people to identify with those parts of themselves. You know, and brave—it's brave brave to do that. Yeah, yeah. And and in this way, it's like our job is really—we are—we teach people empathy. You know, that's that's really the job of of a writer is is to put a character on the screen uh, or on the stage that the audience may originally perceive as different from them and to show the audience, the part of them that lives in that character. And, and I just think uh, it's one of the things that I love about writing and I, and I love that, that you're, you're talking about it in that way.
1: Yeah. I find that in TV, especially people, the writers don't think like that. Like they, yeah. Like, you know, always. Right. And I definitely do. I'm like, hey, look at this person and how how similar they are to us. Right. Um, I think that's one area I can see opportunity for vast improvement across the board, because you look at a a TV show that's about police or whatever, and always, 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 always they are justifying the police or or trying to make you empathize with the reason why they shot this person. You're like, but they shot and killed someone uh that that, shouldn't they go through the the process here like the the justice system but but we're not doing that we're not we're just not gonna do that we're gonna kill these black and brown bodies you know like like because they're nothing right and they never get an opportunity to really be full people but if you approach it from what we're talking about like truly empathize i think you create you have the opportunity to create much more compelling and interesting material um i just i just hope that that's where we're going and um, the future. Cool.
0: Yeah, it it you know I don't know if this is your experience, but my experience with, as a producer was, if I gave somebody something they felt they could sell, I could get away with almost anything as far as the message. Mm. And if I didn't give somebody something they thought it was they were going to make money off of, then the message became really important. Then suddenly everyone's fighting over the message. But that 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 once you know once, and there are producers like you, you know, who are driven by by something that's greater than just, you know, let's put some money in my pocket. Uh, and there are a lot of, you know, even though Hollywood gets a bad rap, and there are a lot of people who have deservedly have that rap, um, there are also people out there who are like you and who are out there trying to make the world a better place, just like everybody else. But when you when you give a producer something that they know they can make money on, uh, it allows them to fight those battles. You know, I, I mean when we did Matthew Shepard, uh I, I'll never I was so worried about the the studio. You know, I, I we did it for NBC and and I, I was like, I wish this was cable, you know, because I'm scared because I don't know what they're gonna let me let me show. And I remember I was so amazed, you know, when the, the network president came in and he was personally involved with the development of the project. And he said, you show whatever you need to show and you let me fight the battles with the lawyers. You don't worry about any of that. And it was like, this is this is not the picture that I have, you know, but we were doing something that mattered and he felt that and it made him want to fight. Yeah. And, and so, um, To kind of just turn the conversation, because we're starting to get towards the end of our time, and I want to ask you one more important question, is you've worked in a bunch of different writers' rooms, and they're all different. And I'm curious, you know, when you're developing yourself as a TV writer, you're not just developing your ability to write a script, you're also developing your ability to be in a room, your ability to know which ideas to fight for and which ideas to let go, your ability to work with showrunners, to work in a team. And I, I would just love for you to talk a little bit about your experience in different writers rooms and how they function. And what's like the most important fit, skill to develop for yourself to succeed in that world?
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, I think I think the most important thing to develop is the ability to listen hmm. to like, and, yeah and i mean like listen to the executive producers the co-producers especially the showrunner like hear what they're actually saying and what they are going to what they want right you can have an incredible idea right um but if that idea is you know off the uh, like it could solve the problem you know the story problem but if it's not on the path that these people were imagining right it could actually hurt you even if they choose to go with that idea right because it's out of the box or cool or it solves all the problems right i think as writers we have especially lower levels we have to learn to just row and row and row and row even though you know a lot of times (laughs) especially if you study this art a lot of times we're not going down the right path Right. Um. And you know where the right thing is. And sometimes like you, I, I think in one particular case, I would chime in, you know, I would solve a lot of the problems, you know, um. I'd be like because I'm like, well, like I, I, that's my talent. I can identify the problem and I can be like, OK, this is a way And you can also do this. Right. That's the engineering side of me. Um, whereas, you know, even though like the EPs have been dealing with this problem all day. You know what I mean? I can come in and be like, oh, but what if you just do this, this, this? And then you get that that, that and it sells. Right. Politics. Right. Um, I, I didn't understand that at first. Right. Um, in a room where we would often be together and then we break into two. Right. Um, I think that I, I, I like I've taken those opportunities to learn, learn like how to, like, you know, row towards where the showrunner wants to go. And not to say that I always like I'm a yes sir kind of guy, but um, I often just like I allow the room to go down the wrong path, you know, and like and I choose which things I'm going to help solve. Right. You have to be strategic about things. Um, I think in other rooms like um, the one I worked in, uh, Dick, like the Dick Wolf camp, you're not in the room very often with. All the writers in a lot of the time you're in your own room, your own office, like twiddling your thumbs, reading screen like your, the, the screenplays that we've produced before or the, the teleplays that we've produced before, trying to make sure that you're like when you're, it's your turn to go pitch the episode that you're all together. But you got to help other folks, you know, so being able to go like figuring out a way to develop a personable relationship with people, even though you're not technically together in a room you need to go to their office hang around a little bit and I'm not a person I'm very productive I don't like hanging around I don't I don't I'm not I'm just not that guy you know what I mean I you know like if you tell me like we're gonna have a beer I'm like okay we have a beer but we're having one beer and I'm leaving I'm gonna go do something you know um but being able to be comfortable and hang out which is something I'm not really that good at like that's that's actually something that I think people have to kind of understand that you know, even though you work together and I certainly see things as like, we're, prof- this is a professional relationship, we're colleagues, that's it. You know, um, you have to find a way to still be friendly or, or, or give the or of like, I'm your friend, um, but also keep those professional barriers up, I think, cause things get a little bit hairy.
0: Yeah. Um, I love what you're saying about listening. Because in a way it's funny, but as a staff writer, your job is kind of similar to your job as a teacher, which is, you know, when it's your own script, you know, your job is to tell the story that you want to tell in the way that you want to tell it and the solutions that you love. Right. When you're in, in a writer's room, or for that matter, when you're in a project session, a mentorship relationship, your job is not to tell the story that you love and that you want to tell. Your story your job is to listen and to really understand the goal of the writer that you're serving. Exactly. And and the the solutions that you pitch need to serve their even if their idea you think is a terrible idea, you need to find a way to make their idea work to the right. very greatest degree. And I remember when I was I came up very, very young. I I got my first break. I was actually still at Dartmouth. Um, And so I was always the youngest person in the room. And one of the things that I learned that was so valuable was do not open your mouth except to ask a question. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Until you know 100% that what you say is exactly what they need. Right. And that... Once you know, once you know, uh, you you can take care of whatever you need to take care of. We'll just get it together. Okay. Once you know, you you basically, you don't want to open your mouth until you're 100% sure that what you're offering is actually the solution to what they need. Right. Because that first time you open your mouth is going to define you for them for the rest of your relationship. Exactly. And so, if you open your mouth too early before you know where you are, and they go, well, that doesn't build what I'm building, your voice is silent.
1: Exactly. But if you're careful,
0: Mm -hmm. and you show them, I get you, I get what you're trying to do, I get what your goal is, I get why this matters to you, I get I get what the challenge is is for you. And here's a suggestion that's going to make your idea even better. Right. Then suddenly you have influence. And the first day you're not going to move them off of their path that is dangerous. But after you've given them seven or eight suggestions like that, you might say, you know, I'm thinking about this season arc and I had this crazy idea. And suddenly you find that you can start to move them. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, I, I want to throw it back to you, but I think like, I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about like, how do you develop those listening skills? Like, how do you listen when you're like brimming with ideas and you know, you could solve it?
1: Well, I think you made a very, like, made, like I'm just gonna be probably reiterating what you're saying um, because you, you do want to be very powerful, but through like the, the solutions. That you give, right, and you, you you choose to be measured, right. So I take I I, use, well, I take notes. You know what I mean, handwritten notes. I know the the writer's assistant is taking notes, but I'm on my own notes, um, so that when I come in or I'm like I give a solution that is on point, and um, and I pick and like you pick and choose what those things are, right. But my my um I, the one that pops in my head is like on Speechless it's my first staffing job. And my agents at the time were like, Ron, on the first day, you say one smart thing. Second day, you say two smart things. Third day, you say three. Maybe the fourth day, you say four. And like, and then play it by ear from there, but keep it minimal because you are a staff writer, right? They love you, whatever, they don't need to hear from you. Um, And I kept that, I was like, okay and every time i opened my mouth it was a sale another sale like they got that they got that and they're like huh this guy he knows what he's talking about and lo and behold like i remember the finale we had been going over for like probably like i think probably like three days straight like something was not working and you gotta understand this room we would stay until we could say after midnight you know what i mean and it was like it's awful in that way but at that point like i had developed enough rapport and they knew like you know when i like some things at this point like i I would sell some things i wouldn't like it just wouldn't be quite you know but i most i was my batting average was really high and i ended up selling the solution for the finale you know um it was a thing that the showrunner needed it was a little extra sauce and he was like yeah helicopter she comes in on a helicopter that's right but um and i was like all right we're there and save the day right but it's because i was listening and a lot of times people weren't necessarily listening even upper levels because you know um they'll they can sometime like they're in conversation or you're in conversation but if you're in listening mode you're in, you're actively listening you're actively in the conversation but you're like the showrunner might say something it might be very tiny and then it gets bulldozed over but you can say they let them have their conversation but then you say hey scott or whoever like you had mentioned this one little thing that you said, and I don't quite get what you mean. Like you had, you felt guilty as a, as a, as a, as a brother. Who, like, cause you had a brother who had cerebral palsy, you know what I mean? But you felt guilty. Like, can you kind of explain that? Because I don't really kind of get that. And so lo and behold, there's a whole story to that. And then that, that just shows not only that I'm listening, that we have a whole well. And like, even though we were trying to, the, the room was trying to veer some other place, because I was the one person who was really listening to this guy he was like this guy's got my back right that, and I love what you said <laughs> you know um and that's 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 a smart way I think about go- going about things and when it comes to like pro track or like you know helping people it's I'm not going to like I'm a person like you may like it or you may not like it I'm not going to give you the solution I just refuse um I will give you a version of a solution but I want you to come up with your own thing right um because it's your story and I don't want, it's not my story. You know what I mean? It's not my idea. And so I believe that people have to find, they do the hard work themselves as writers to find where where they land, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that, that's, that that takes a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of effort. And you got to get up too at four or three o'clock in the morning to do the hard thinking. You know what I mean? <laughs> and solve your own things. You know what I mean? So um, I think that that's, that's how I view it.
0: I think that's so valuable. And, and if you're listening, like that's one of the ways you can actually know you have a good mentor. Um, if a person's giving you a lot of ideas, um, you really should be very wary. You know, if a person's going do this and then do this and then do this and then do this, should be very wary because the chances are you're not building your script anymore. You're building their script. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're not telling your truth anymore. You're telling their truth. Um, And best case scenario, you're going to end up with one great script that you can't replicate because it's not yours. Um, But worst case scenario, you actually had an incredible, truthful, disruptive story in you that that never got to come out because you took somebody's easy answer, you know, and you really want the person who pushes you for the hard answer, you know, but who's just there kind of pushing you up the hill. Until until you kind of hit that Eureka moment. Um, Ron, you're going to be teaching, um, in addition to ProTrack, you're going to be teaching a TV drama class for us. Mm-hmm. And so I would love for you to speak a little bit about that class and what's it going to be like and what are people going to learn? I
1: mean, it's kind of simple. Um, it's going to be fun and energetic and, you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for people to like learn and analyze what 's in the market right now uh, to see where their their thoughts and ideas kind of lie if there's a there 's a pilot in them that might fit you know mm-hmm. in today 's time and I, I think in the class we 'll learn how to write log lines, outlines, treatments, and know what people are actually looking for and we should have like we should also get to write you know the, the opening teasers for many of these these pilots. And during the class, we'll demo um, from some of the students. We'll analyze what they present. It's, it's
0: going to be a lot of fun. It sounds awesome. And so the, you know, the goal of this class is is really to give you the foundations so that you can la- either launch into completing your own project or that so you have the foundation that could lead you into a program like ProTrack or one of our workshop programs. So it's a really strong way to get your foundations if you are a TV drama writer focusing just on TV drama. And it also culminates with a one-on-one consultation uh, where you can bring, you can bring 10 pages of your script, you could bring your teaser, you could bring your outline, you could bring your treatment, uh, any ten pages of your writing, uh, and you'll meet one-on-one with a professional writer who will give you specific mentorship just about your project and just about what your next steps need to be. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And Ron, I am so very grateful to have you on our faculty. Um, we're really, uh, we're really blessed to have you. This was a fabulous conversation, and and thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you for having me, and I'm excited to be a part of uh, the faculty. It's going to be very, very fun. Thanks. I'll talk to you
0: soon. Talk to you soon. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd like to invite you to our newest free event. Every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, we have a fabulous event called Quarantinis, and it's going to go on for free for as long as this crazy COVID thing continues. So here's how it works. Um, You can go to my website, WriteYourScreenplay.com slash Quarantinis. You can pour yourself an alcoholic or non-alcoholic drink, um, and you will get to listen to an interview with one of our incredible teachers each week. we will talk about a a screenwriting tv writing even comic book writing topic um we will get really deep into understanding how that works and then that will lead to a writing exercise and a place where you can share your work with the community It's a wonderful free event and I hope you can join. Um, So again, writeyourscreenplay.com slash Quarantinis to RSVP. Um, You can make a donation or you can donate your time and a smile, that's fine as well. Um, And as long as this crisis continues, we're also offering for those of you who are interested in our classes, we know that a lot of you are suffering. So um, we're continuing our scholarship program. So if you are hoping to to continue with your writing for every regularly priced uh, class that we sell, we are for every regularly priced class that we sell, we're giving away two 50% scholarships. Uh, you can claim them right on our website. It's a it's an honor code thing. If you need it, please take it. If you're thinking about pro track or a workshop but are afraid about affording it, um, we're we're matching all the money that gets donated for our Quarantini's event, and we're using that to subsidize the cost of pro track and workshops for our affected population so if you want to be part of it you don't have to worry about money you can reach out to us uh, visit our website reach out to info at writeyourscreenplay.com and we will be happy to help you out